Welcome to this episode of The Rise After the Fall. My husband didn't get to say that and he is bummed and he does a much better job, but I flew to Franklin, Tennessee to be with our guest today, Brandy Wilson. And I we just said the South and the North collided. Yes, yes. our accents are <laughs> yes. total opposites. Total opposites. And so enjoy this as you, <laughs> you weed through our accents. But I'm with Brandy, who is co-founder and co-director of Leading and Loving It, a ministry that's been going for almost 15 years. Mm-hmm. I was a part of it early on, and I just think it's a wonderful ministry to women in ministry. Uh, but The reason we have Brandy on is because she didn't go through a fall. Her husband had a fall, but she rose again. And so this episode is actually being called The Women and Kids Better Than Okay. Mm -hmm. And so rather than starting at the beginning, I'm going to start at the end, which was my husband who reminded me he is a co-host and he wanted his input. Sean, we we miss you. I wish you were here. He couldn't join us. I know he couldn't. I mean, he could have, but I didn't really invite him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to, to come. Uh, so what he said is start at the end and work your way backwards because yeah. you are better than okay. And actually the church stood by you and did so great. Yes. So that's part of the story. And also I wanted us to start with the part you told me at the end of our conversation when we were talking on the phone the other day, you said, there is a church that now has been planted and exists and gave credit to you and your family and your boys heard it. Yes. And so yep. let's start at the end yep. and yep. we'll work our way backwards. Yep. Well, and I love that you went with better than okay, because I do, um, at this point in my life, I've been divorced. Um, it'll be six years in March of 2023. And before that, there was a six month separation. And then before that, a six month in-house separation. So kind of living this life for over seven years. And I think one thing that you have probably heard and are aware of that when things fall apart publicly, they've been falling apart behind the scenes for a really long time. Yes. So this has definitely been a journey for me and my family. Um, I have three sons. They are 21, 18, and 16. And um, I, I'm every time I sit down to tell my story, I do feel super honored with the fact that God used my family the way He did and um, created this closeness and brought us together because I know that's not always the outcome for Mm -hmm. a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So I'm super grateful just to be able to share the way God showed up for us. But um, yeah, the story you're referencing is one of my favorite stories. It happened about two years ago. There's um, a church in Nashville called The Hills. The pastors are John and Kristen Ragsdale. They're amazing. My family and I adore them, my sons and I, and they were our next door neighbors um, in our house that we lived in when we were still a family of five and had lived beside us for about eight years. So there was some history there and they were super important to my life through the falling apart of everything. Um, Kristen, about once a week, something was left on my door that said, you are loved. Mm. Um, sometimes it was a flower, candle, maybe a note, a piece of chocolate. But there was this constant reminder that she kept shining in my life that you are loved, which is something a lot of divorced women struggle with because yeah. the person who's supposed to love you the most has left. Yeah. So. They definitely started in small ways with that, but they moved into their new building about two years ago. And the boys and I um, have attended there on and off over the the past several years. And we went to that service. My oldest son was home from college. We went to that service to be able to celebrate with John and Kristen. And, you know, anytime a new building opens, the church is crowded and finding seating is tough. And the boys and I, um, the four of us squeezed into three seats on the back row, just making wow. sure that we got to be in the room. And and it was so crowded. I didn't even know if John and Kristen 
you know, we would get to see them. But John had definitely seen us on one of his walkthroughs. And when the service ended, he stood on stage and he prayed a prayer of blessing over the church and the people in the room and the people um, who had worked behind the scenes. And and part of that prayer was um, him just stopping and thanking God that we were there in the room, my boys and I. And he said, um, it's because of the Wilsons and what they did as a family that we get to stand on the shoulders and now continue to do ministry in this city. Mm. And it was such a small, you know, most people in the room, I don't think, probably understood the history and the impact that that statement made. But that was the first time in a really long time that my kids had heard their name tied to anything positive Mm -hmm. in regards to church in Nashville. And as we were leaving, um, my middle son said, that was really nice that Mr. John mentioned us in that prayer. Mm -hmm. And I said, that was super kind and intentional. And it was just a moment where the four of us could kind of just like exhale together we survived. We're yes. continuing to rise. Um, and the impact and the sacrifice that the four of us made has not been forgotten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, and I, I love that you told me that story because I could tell that as a mom, yeah. your heart is that my kids don't see the church as the the thing that failed them. The yes. church is the whole. Yes. And even your church that uh, <laughs> when your husband resigned, mm-hmm which he did resign. He did resign, yeah. yep. Um, and we'll get to this whole story. They, you said, took good care of you guys. Will you talk about that? Yeah, I do. I think, you know, Sunny, I think there is no handbook of how to walk through situations like this. Ultimately, of course, we have the Bible. The Bible is our ultimate guide yes. in life. But when it comes down to the day-to-day decisions of what's going on inside of that church, it's really, there is not a handbook to tell you how to do it. So I think at this point, having been removed, So far, I can see that they really did the best they could with the information they had. Mm -hmm. Um, Not all the information was out at that time. Uh, Everything happened so quick, right? Everything happened so fast. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say not all the information is still out, and that's okay. You know, not everything is for public knowledge. Um, But I would say with the knowledge they had, they did the best they could. And what did happen is once the resignation had happened and divorce was public, that the divorce was happening, all of that— they ended up showing up for me in ways I didn't expect. So just a couple of small ways. They did make sure financially I had half of the severance, which was a true gift. But then outside of that, the staff showed up to help me move on moving day. And they loaded up the truck, moved me across town, unloaded the truck in about 90 minutes. Had wow. all the boxes and the corresponding brooms. They you know, were like sweeping and all of that as it goes. They were just making sure... That we, it it was kind of cool looking back now because we didn't move into an empty home. We had a lot of people here we knew. Mm. Um, So we moved into this home where there were people there helping care for us and helping start this new season of life. Mm -hmm. Even in the process of that move, we had just put up a new basketball goal at our old house um, that my kids had been asking for and loved it. And on moving day, my oldest son said, we'll never have a basketball goal as nice at our new house as this one. And yeah, one of the lead team members that was there heard that conversation and he had just shared it. And the creative team showed up at our house about a month later. They had bought the exact same basketball goal. They assembled it. They poured the concrete. They installed it to make sure that my kids got to see that they were also loved by that group of people. So it was, you know, big ways financially. It's when something like that happens, you don't know how you're going to make it. But then also those you know, small ways of just making sure that the new home felt like home. Mm -hmm. Um, 
yeah, it's been really a gift to see the way those people have just continued to check on us and see how we're doing and, you know, reach out. And even if it's just comments on Instagram or running into them at Target, it's nice to still have those face-to-face connections. Yeah. And you and your boys didn't have to feel like you were part of the guilty, that you were by association to be shunned. Because in these situations, when we are talking a moral failure, mm-hmm. people don't know what to do, but yeah. Rightfully, you guys didn't have a part in that. And people acknowledge that you're still the same people we knew. Yes. 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 Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that was great for the kids to see is that, um, you know, everything is turned upside down and there's a lot that you filter through. But once life settled out, all of my friends stayed my friends. Mm. Uh, you know, I kind of went dark for a little while because there's so much attention around something like that. Um, but once life settled, they see that I'm still engaged with all of those same people and that those people care about them. Yeah. Well, and there are people that listen to this podcast Mm -hmm. that are people in a congregation, but really there's a lot of pastors. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of board members who are listening to this podcast. And so like you said, there's not a manual. Right. But these are like actually intangible things that you're not talking about. There were great policies in place. Therefore, you feel like the church was there. It was about the people. Now, I do think that... Uh, you know, I'm for sure, Sean and I are both people that we don't like to just complain about something or talk right. about something without a solution or finding one. Mm-hmm. And we are trying to help pastors. We've had pastors and boards reach out to say, what could we do? Mm-hmm. And so we're working on some resources to say, this is this is what you could implement. Just like a key man policy mm-hmm. of insurance. Yeah. Like if yeah. someone or disability insurance that churches can have on their pastor, what can the board have that in the case of, yeah. this is how we will handle handle it. But I love that yours is are things that anyone listening, mm-hmm. when they face this, yeah. many of them will face something like this in their future, mm-hmm. maybe the church they attend, this is what they can know really made an impact on you. A basketball, yeah. like a basketball net. We're not oh. talking a severance for seven years would have made the difference. You're right. like, it's a basketball right. goal. Right. right. It's amazing. Well, and I think... Um, for the way I do ministry now, the way I did ministry then is very relational. So I am a relational person. My kids are all relational people. And that's how I've always done leadership. So for people to continue to show up relationally was huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still have a girl. We had, There's a girl in the church. Um, she's still on staff there. She does a huge garden in her backyard where you can cut flowers. And every year, the first bouquet of cut flowers are on my doorstep um, in May. And that's mm. just a... Remembrance, sometimes I see her, sometimes I don't. Mm -hmm. But it's just, it's, you know, you're seen, you're not forgotten. Mm -hmm. I think the wives and the children are often discarded. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do get a little frustrated by that because they're not deserving of the way they're treated. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think in the long run, the impact it has on the kids and their relationship. We talk a lot about the relationship with church at that age. For our kids, the relationship with church is their relationship with God. Absolutely. Those two one are the, in the same. same to them. Yes, they are one in the same. So it makes an impact on how they interact with God for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's really tough when mm-hmm. those decisions are made and the kids just feel discarded in the midst of it. Right. Well, and grief is really what oh, your kids and you sure. went through. It's the grief 
Sean wrote a book called The Gravity of Grief. Mm -hmm. And this isn't a plug because you can't even get it on Amazon. We print them (laughs) and we give them out to people every Sunday at both of our churches, both locations where we're doing ministry in Toronto and Green Bay. And we just give them out for free. Because without fail, you hear someone who said, I lost my job and then my house. You need a a book on grief. You need this help. So it's not just about death. Mm -hmm. It's loss of a marriage, loss of a home, which you had, loss of a dream, loss of a church, your kids' loss of their status, because even though it's hard to be a pastor's kid, there's also wonderful perks in being oh, a pastor's kid. Yeah, they lost that. We wanted that. to make ministry fun yeah. for them. Yeah. So you're dealing with grief. Your kids are dealing with grief. Mm-hmm. And it just hit me as you were talking. I was thinking, why don't people think relationship needs to remain and it's important? Yeah. It's similar to when someone dies mm-hmm. or even someone has a miscarriage. People yeah. freeze. Right. They think, I don't know what to say, so it's better I don't bring up the— You don't even want to say the person who died, the person you lost, yeah. or I'm sorry for your— sadness. You know, it's like, we don't want to say death because what if that triggers them? Right. And so maybe it's that because I I don't really know why over and over again. I mean, we have people reaching out to us on Instagram and Mm -hmm. any, and our numbers are listed anywhere they can get a hold of us. We're hearing from children who are now 30 and 40 years old, who their dad had an affair or multiple affairs back in the 80s or 90s, and they were shunned. Mm -hmm. Their mom and them lived, you know, in an apartment crammed up because they had no money. And uh, they're they're saying thank Mm -hmm. you. And this is many years later, but people just didn't know what to do with it. Yeah, didn't know what to do with it, I think. you know, with social media and technology and all of that, it's more publicized yes. now. We know about it, you know, it reaches a wider audience for sure. Um, so, yeah, and I think the piece that, you know, it's kind of like you referenced death of someone and you often hear once life gets back to normal is when they have the hardest time. Yes. And that's the same as very true in a situation like ours is that, it died down where it wasn't talked about as much, but we're still dealing with the ramifications mm. of you have life your first falling Christmas. apart. Right. You That's have to different. do the holidays. Mm-hmm. You have to, you know, share time. I didn't get married and choose to have children to parent them 70% of the time mm. um, and have to share holidays. I, you know, 100% of the time was my goal as a mm-hmm. mom and to have a home that had two parents in it. Yeah. Um, and that's not the way it worked out. I at this point, would not go back and change it. I'm very grateful for where I am today. But in the midst of it, it's really hard to walk Mm -hmm. through those first. Mm -hmm. First years. Uh, You have been an example to people on how to rise yourself. Again, Mm -hmm. it wasn't your fall, but you rose. And you did have Leading and Loving It Mm -hmm. where you had a ministry that— Fortunately, and also because you had been doing it, it was just yeah. a shoe in that you would you would focus there. You would have mm-hmm. that. You know, there's a lot of women, and I don't know if you have advice, probably because you work with women as right. your ministry, who say, my call didn't die out when right. my husband could no longer be the pastor. Yeah. And and let's let's you know acknowledge that sometimes the woman has the affair yes. we know this we're not yes, saying it's yeah. always the men however but, if Sean were to have if I were to have an affair Sean would remain in the pulpit exactly yeah. uh, this is very different but I was called when I was mm-hmm. 16 years old in a youth ministry I went to Bible college before I knew Sean yeah I I wouldn't stop wanting to be a pastor and do ministry if I wasn't with Sean yeah and so what about the women what have you said to ladies who say, there's nothing for me. And if if I were try to apply, they would say, well, you were probably just, you know, in well, it because of your husband. And let's be honest, 
lots of times they can't apply because there's a do not compete clause that goes, you know, yeah. with their exit but from the But yet they can't move if they have kids. Exactly. Yeah, I will tell you one of my biggest gifts in the process of the divorce, you mentioned Leading and Loving It earlier. Um, my best friend, Lori Wilhite, founded Leading and Loving It. We run it together and have for almost 15 years. And she was super direct to say to me, a role might be gone, a position might be taken, but no one can take God's call on your life but him. Mm -hmm. And you are still going to show up. You're still going to do ministry. And really gave me that open door you're talking about. I had, um, I actually had a master's in education. I was in the process of taking two classes to get my license reinstated as an educator uh, and was substituting at the elementary school. So I really thought that was the path I was going to go back into. And, um, And she and you know, some other people supporting helped make the decision that they wanted to be able to help me come on staff at Leading and Loving It. So, you know, I did that after the divorce and have been doing that for six years now. And it has been a really great outlet. And the one piece I think that I have enjoyed most about it is being able to stay connected with those women who are living a similar story to mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's so funny about it is initially I was like, I don't want to be the known as the divorce pastor's wife and I don't want a divorce ministry. And, yeah. you know, it's also painful initially that I didn't want anything to do with it. But now the fact I didn't have anyone I knew to turn to and say, what was this like when you woke up one Sunday and life as you'd known it didn't exist anymore? Mm-hmm. So to be able to be that person to say, you're going to get through. Mm-hmm. And guess what? You're not going to be able to see it all laid out before you. You're going to have to live it. Yes. And it's the living it that creates the character and the strength and grows the faith and builds the trust that we all say we want to mm-hmm. have as believers. Mm -hmm. So um, I do love the opportunity that I've gotten to connect with so many pastor's wives who are in very similar situations to mine. I will say the majority of the time, their church and community did not love on them as well as I was loved on. And that's Mm -hmm. probably the hardest part to hear. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it really has been I still wouldn't say I have a divorce ministry, but I have a coaching mm-hmm. ministry to be able to help people to move forward and know that they will be better than okay. Yeah. And your book is Better Than Okay? My book is Better Than Okay. It comes out July 11th. So yes. excited. So I'm super excited yeah. about that. Is yeah. Are there pre-orders that we can put in our show yep. notes? Pre-orders. Um, it's actually already up on Amazon Yay. and I've already ordered a copy. Oh, good. Do you like <laughs> it? Have you seen so it? I, I actually have a copy right here on the table oh. that I'm doing final edits in. Um, so it's more of just like a publisher's copy. But yeah, the real thing, all final, comes out July 11th. I love that because we want to offer application and resources mm-hmm. from every conversation we have. So yeah. Better Than Okay is fantastic yes. for our, our ladies listening to get. And we did call this episode The Women and the Kids. Yes. Whereas in a couple of them, we've had What About the Wives and the Kids or What About the yes. Wives? Yep. Because, you know, for Starla, who was on our, our one of our episodes yes. this season, yeah. she is still the wife. They yes. made it work. Right. They're together. There's that redemption story. Yeah. Um, for some women, they are an ex-wife. Yeah. And it is moving from I'm a wife or I'm an ex-wife to I'm a woman. Yes. Yeah. I'm not a wife that's trying to get back in ministry or an ex-wife. I'm a woman. And, uh, you know, I don't, we talked about it. We're not women's lib, even with Natalie Runyon, who we had last episode from Raised to Say. She's like, I am for women pressing forward, but not let's wave our fists and try to prove something. Just, I'm called. I can be used. I was used before I can be used again. One of the, so your book is going to be fantastic to have your groups Mm -hmm. looking for 
women to look on leading and loving it. And then also I've been talking with some ladies who, uh, one lady I spoke with, she reached out to me after listening to the podcast. She's in her 60s. She's planted two churches with her husband. Mm -hmm. After 40 years, he left her. It was multiple affairs, pornography the whole time. And she actually went forward and told the board, I love God more than I love my marriage. I love God more than I love my own calling. And I love God more than I like the stability that I have a home. Mm -hmm. I have everything I need. He's not fit to be in the pulpit. Mm -hmm. He's having affairs and he's committing, or and he's been addicted to pornography. And I can't hide this anymore. And so she was out, out. And, you know, she's in her 60s and she applied and got through final rounds to be a campus pastor. And she applied at another church. And I'm believing she's going to get an amazing um, job. And as I listened to her tell me, uh, I thought, you're not letting woman get in the way. You're not letting divorce get in the way, even though that was one of the responses. It's right. too soon since the divorce. Yep. You're not letting the fact you're in your 60s right. where people are starting to wind it down. Right. There's still life in them, but they're not right. like, I'm going to start something new. She's getting over all of those. I said, send, my, send your resume to me mm-hmm. because I believe the next step for me, for Rise After the Fall, for the Exchange Collaborative, is to have a co- uh, a coalition or a network of here's women who submit their resumes yes. so that when we do get called by pastors, you have a worship right. pastor, you right. have a kids pastor, right. and we're like, no, let us know. We need a media. Yeah, you know, I exactly. remember years ago, we're like, <laughs> we need a media pastor or another one on staff. And they're like, let me know if you find one because I need one. Yeah. So there's like a, a void of enough pastors, yeah. associate pastors mm-hmm. out there. And then there's women who this lady could be the kids pastor, the worship she's pastor. Overqualified. She could be she's she's done everything in the church. Right. Right. And, and she knows what it looks like behind the scenes. Yes. Yeah, she's done it all. And she told me, she said, my calling came to me when I was seven. Mm-hmm. That's where I got that line. So I I believe that even putting a resume together yeah. and telling yourself, which I'm sure you do this in your coaching. Yes. Like, yes. it's not over. No, it's not over, yeah. but whoa, it feels like it when it's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it totally feels like it's when it, it when it is happening. And, and I, go there. Now let's go there and share a little of your story so people aren't like, well, yeah. it sounds like the church was good and probably wasn't a big deal or a big falling yeah. out. But like, yeah. really, what did you go through? Tell as much as you want yeah. to. So um, <clears throat> I actually married my college sweetheart. And we started, um, initially, once we got married, we started a church in Kentucky outside of Bowling Green. I attended Western Kentucky University. It's where we met. And then in 2001, moved to Nashville, and he took a job as an associate pastor at an existing church. And we'd been there for, I don't know, probably about nine months and just felt you know, that itch to plant another church, um, which I didn't think either one of us would ever agree to again, because, you know, it's hard work. Yes. So um, we ended up planning Cross Point Church in Nashville, Tennessee in 2002, and honestly had 14 years. I had 14 years of really beautiful ministry there and loved what I got to do, loved being part of the church, loved get. you know, I was not a paid employee, but I was at the church all the time. I was at staff meetings. Um, I showed up at all the event. You know what it's yeah. like. Sunny, you do all mm-hmm. the things. Mm-hmm. And the boys were with me. So we were doing that for 14 years. That was our life. That was where our relational community was. That was who we hung out with the, on the weekends with. Staff is who we did vacations with. We were very integrated into um, our church as our church, our job, and our community. Yeah. So uh, about 14 years into the church plant, my um, ex-husband, 
chose to step away from the ministry, the church, and the family, and he left. Um, gave the excuse of burnout. And I will say, because of what was going on in his private life, probably was burned out, because sin does that to you. Mm. Sin will burn you, you out, out for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but he stepped away, and honestly, it it like you said earlier, it happened so quickly. I had known that things were going on. Um, you know, he admitted at one point after leaving Crosspoint that there had been you know, a third party in our marriage, basically the whole 20 years. We'd been married 20 years at that point, all the way, the first one happening in the first two years and kind of walked through all of that. And it's just devastation. It was, you know, one Sunday I was at church hugging people as the lead pastor's wife. And and the next Sunday he resigned. And mm. I wasn't, the kids and I weren't there when it happened. We were actually staying with friends out of town. Um, Did you know he was going to be doing that that Sunday? Uh, we, I found out the night before it happened. Yeah. So this is also a common thread mm-hmm. that there is no public statement from the the co lead pastor, the partner in ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And this is what I will tell you, Sonny. At this point, during the course of that, I was not. That's not the way I wanted it to flow. Mm. In hindsight, after his resignation, so much stuff was uncovered and revealed and truth coming out from all kinds of people. I was finding out truth from receiving emails. I really feel like for me, God protected my voice in that season, that weekend, the immediate Mm. weeks following, because not knowing the whole truth, I would have said some things I needed to apologize for later. Um, I would have, I, there was part of me who felt like we were being wronged and there was part of me, this is not fair. We've poured 14 years into this. This has been, you know, not just something we've done, something I'd loved Mm -hmm. and it's gone like that, Mm -hmm. that in the midst of it, I did feel hurt and angry and upset. Even at the church, you're saying? Um, I, I think, I won't say the church as a whole. There were a couple of people in the process who I knew um, probably handled things a little differently than I wish they had. And mm-hmm. I've had follow-up conversations now and, you know, they've asked forgiveness and I've mm. given it. But in the midst of that, because my kids were so hurt, mm-hmm. I think if I would have, I am glad I'm not, I was not standing on stage with gotcha. him sharing his resignation. What we say in the midst of yes. trauma. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, I did not realize at the time God was protecting my voice, mm. but I do think I would have. If I'd have shown up when it was just the staff and he resigned, I would have said some things I would have regretted. If I'd have shown up on that Sunday morning, I don't know that I would have said anything from stage, but man, I would have had an ugly attitude backstage. Mm. So in the midst of it, I didn't know everything that was going on. I knew bits and pieces, but it's all a puzzle. You know, there's, you never, it was, yeah, the full truth did not come out for a long time after. Wow. Wow. So in the midst of all of that, I would have probably used my voice and then had to go back and apologize. And it probably would have really ruined some relationships that were redeemed. Mm. Um, Redemption and restoration did not happen in my marriage, but it did happen with pretty much every single relationship I had at the church. And I don't know that that would be the case if I had 
spoken up then. Mm-hmm. So I think, and and what's so interesting is everyone's telling you what you should do. Like, you should do this. You should put this on social media. You should do, and I don't know. I just felt so of, I will take my direction from God. Love and, it. you know, I felt so unloved and abandoned and rejected as, you know, the resignation happens. And then, and he'd already moved out at that point, but I'm still trying to like, if I can save my marriage, I'll go to counseling every day for five years. If that's what it takes, I'm willing to do the hard work. And I loved him. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not like, outside of what happens with the church, I loved him. Mm. Um, I loved being a wife. I loved being part of a family unit that had a mom and a dad. I understand now that I have gotten healthier. There was a lot of dysfunction in that. Mm. Um, But at the core, I still loved him Mm -hmm. and had for over 20 years. So it's just a really tough situation. So I did not use my voice then, and I'm glad. And I feel like the experience, the healing, the therapy, the intensives, like all the work I've done has gotten me to the point where now I speak out of my scars and not my wounds mm-hmm. in order to help other people mm-hmm. move forward in a way that is the healthiest for them and that God desires for them mm-hmm. to be able to continue in ministry. I love that you're bringing this up because there's probably a lot of women who think if I could go back, I wish I would have been able to say this, this, and this. Yes. But I've not thought from your perspective, and it might help them to think maybe that was a God thing. Yes. Because, you know, it's interesting when when a man will resign if he's the one that's mm-hmm. committed the affair or whatever act— it's never the full truth that first Sunday. Never. Never. So you actually <laughs> present yourself as a liar eventually, yes, right? Yes, or even the board sure. is making it sound better. Right. Uh, right. I and, know. and so yeah, you had nothing to make up for or change your story later. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I do talk to a lot of women, as I said, who are, you know, in ministry and who just you know, I know from social media or whatever, some a friend has said, you should talk to Brandy. She went through a divorce. So I talked to a lot of women in the same boat. And I do think that in the midst of it, they're trying to decide what to do that is best for them. And I just think you have to lean into God and not what everyone else is mm-hmm. telling you to do. Mm-hmm. I do think there is something about time and healing that helps you when you use your words and your voice to do it in a way that your suffering becomes a survival guide for others. Mm, that's good. Um, and it's not that you're saying stay silent. No. You're not. You're just saying don't live out loud while oh. you're going through this kind of trauma. And, and I will, I do want to say this to you, Sonny. So let me add some clarification. Mm-hmm. I was staying silent publicly. There it is. I had a therapist I talked to mm-hmm. once a week, sometimes twice a week. I had my best friend in Vegas, who was very aware of everything that was going on and called me every single day to hear my voice. And she knew from the sound of my voice what kind of day it was. I had um, my friend Paige, who lives in town and is 10 years older than me and had been through a divorce 25 years before and was now remarried to a wonderful man who had also been through a divorce that loved on me. They knew the full truth of everything that was going on, the truth that I knew, helped walk me through the legal process and the real estate process and all of that. I had... um, a younger girl who had been an intern for us that was then my babysitter who really showed up anytime she was free to be the person in my home that was lively and loving. And I was still full of love. I was just broken Mm -hmm. and sad. And my kids were broken and sad. So I had people I was talking to. Mm -hmm. I, I 
had the couple I was talking to you about earlier who were mm-hmm. best friends, you know, before leaving the church that I was talking to. So I had people I was talking to. I just wasn't speaking publicly. Yeah. And everyone handles that differently. And everyone feels, I think for me, I knew, Sonny, that my kids were young enough. I needed to continue to protect my kids. Mm-hmm. So I did filter everything through what I said publicly being based on, is this something my kids need to hear in fourth grade, sixth grade, and eighth grade? Or for the future, now that it lives forever. Because your son, your oldest is now 22, 21? 21. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we talked about this on the phone Mm -hmm. because, you know, you shared a lot with me. Even now, there are things that I'm sure if they came and said, mom, now was this woman, was that you had said that, that you'll be honest, but you're not trying to create this huge narrative of drama for them to hear about... No, right, but no. you do. You did say that your son had asked. Yes, I, my middle son um, actually did. It was probably two years post divorce. One night, we were just having a conversation, and somebody, a woman from that we had had relationship with before, came up, and he said, "Is the reason that woman's not in our life anymore because of she and dad?" Yes. And then he did. He went through a list of several women um, and and asked me to answer. And most of the time he would say, that's what I thought. Mm. Um, and yeah, so I, I was always age-appropriately honest with my children mm-hmm. and still am. Like the, the house you're sitting in right now, I say this is the house of truth because— You know, there's a great story that goes with this house and how God provided it. But I knew moving into it, this was going to be a house of truth. We have lived under deceit and lies and manipulation Mm -hmm. for far too long. So we can deal with anything if you're telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean we get it right and it's always perfect. We've had lots of, hey, that wasn't the truth. Mm -hmm. So let's go back and talk about, you know, what can, how we handle this situation now. But yeah, I just think, there's such a big impact being made on the children that I I didn't want all of the dirty laundry to be aired. And my kids were already embarrassed. Yeah. They're already devastated. They're already heartbroken. You know, I was trying to get us to visit a church once, and one of my kids said, um, "It is embarrassing because everyone knows why we left Crosspoint." Mm. And they're right. You know, they're right. Mm-hmm. Because church people know church people. Church people know church. Listen, and <laughs> it's a small Crosspoint world. was such a large church in the mm-hmm. community that I knew from visiting churches. Everywhere I went, I ran into a former staff member, a former elder, or somebody who used mm-hmm. to be in my mom's group. Or, so yeah, it's Nashville is a uh, a big town with a small or big city with a small town feel, and mm-hmm. you get that mm-hmm. um, visiting churches. You see a lot of the same people. How are your boys doing now? Because it's been how many years, and they're now teenagers, and I mean, yeah. Yeah. They're older. (laughs) Yeah, they're older. My boys are doing well. I think we have a really, as I've said before, close relationship. I call us us four no more. I had a girlfriend who uses that in Texas, uh, her family of four. And then when the boys and I became a family of four, I kind of reused that. And it's not that no one else is going to come into our family because, you know, they'll eventually get married. I hopefully one day will eventually get married and that family will grow. But I think in the rebuilding of this unit, I had to make my nest really tight. Mm-hmm. And it was about protecting us and making it safe and making memories in a new home and creating healing opportunities and conversation for us to be able to have. And and when we moved into this house, it just became this like, hey, this is an us for no more dinner. Mm. So... Friends are welcome here all the time. Tonight is just us. Or this is an us for no more vacation. Uh, I actually have an us for tattoo on my forearm 
because it became such a statement of like, how can I redefine family without feeling like something is missing? Yeah. Um, and make it positive. And make it positive. Yeah. And, you know, we fight, we argue, we get mad at one another, but we also love really well and we laugh mm-hmm. together and we do life together and we talk through what's going on and decisions that have to be made. And, and we just choose to do it together. And I know that that's will eventually change, but I just decided to make this nest really tight so everyone felt safe here. And in fact, I had a girlfriend who I met through the church I attend now, and I'd had her over for dinner a few times, and she loves my kids. And she was coming over, and she was bringing somebody with her, and my one of my sons said, I hope she knows it's a really big deal we let her in. Wow. And wow. at that point, I was like, oh, they realized how tight the nest was, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it worked. This oh. nest needed to be tight for healing. Yeah. And now we're doing really well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we all are on different faith journeys. And it's mm-hmm. like, I did not want divorce to be part of my kid's story. I didn't want it to be part of my story. But I also have to trust that God is going to use that in their lives mm-hmm. in some way in their future. And that's the stuff you have to live life to see how it ends up mm-hmm. being used. Mm-hmm. But I I do just trust that God didn't just— we didn't just, he didn't allow this to happen to us. He helped guide us through it. Mm-hmm. So therefore he is gonna continue to build their individual stories and that will be a part right. of it. And watching their mom not give up on the church and ministry mm-hmm. and God. Yes. Not blame yeah. this on God. This yeah. wasn't, yeah. God didn't fail the boys yeah. or you or your marriage. No, it was always very clear to me that it was the person. Yeah. It was a man who had failed me. Yeah. Um, it was not God who had failed me. Mm-hmm. In fact, I I kind of, I think, alluded to you on the phone the other day about this, but in those times of intensity when life is falling apart, I I mean, I don't know what I would have done without God because yeah. I did feel very, I, I'd been surrounded by thousands of people to now I had this tea tiny circle of four people I talked to. And somebody gave me a book, it's by Henry Now, and it's called... Um, Oh, goodness. What is it called? It's about, it has the word anguish in the subtitle. But it was about Henry was walking through a really difficult time in his life, and he really just journaled his way through it. And it's a short book. Mm. I can't believe I can't remember the title because I've handed it out so many times. But I'll give it to you so you can put it in show okay, notes. But um, it was just his journal entries and him being honest with God about where he was. And that was such a guide for me to be able to say like, okay, I'm going to show up with God where I am. And there were days like, you know, I begged God for healing and and I wanted healing in my marriage when I was asking for mm-hmm. it, but He showed healing in other ways. Yeah. And to be able to know God loves me in big and small ways, that really is what got me through. Um, and that doesn't mean I was always like, oh, I can't wait to sit down and talk to God today because I was angry mm-hmm. and I was mad and I could— like you probably could, I could name a list of couples I knew who had gone through very similar infidelities and their marriages had been restored. Right. And I believed early on because, oh, this is not theologically sound, but because I'd served him so well and loved him and loved the church that surely I was going to be a name mm-hmm. on that list and I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of conversations that have to happen between you and God of like, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. I did not think it was going to turn out this way. But just to know that He had me the whole way through, mm-hmm. I really don't know where I would be. And I think in the process of that, I did have a, a friend who's a therapist. I said, I don't know how to get my kids to love the church. And she said, oh, that's an easy one. 
your kids will love the church if they see you love the yeah, church. Absolutely. That's the biggest thing you uh-huh. can do. So at that point, on Sundays, even when it was hard and they weren't ready for me to take them and visit um, different churches, I would still leave them. They were old enough. They were teenagers. Yeah. I could leave them at home and say, hey, I'm going to church. Yeah. And yeah. they're like, okay, mm-hmm. good for you. Take my Bible. They've seen my kids see me read the Bible all the time. They see me having my quiet time in the mornings. The two that live at home now, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do my Bible recap um, and head into my room and sit down and do it. So my kids have, I do feel like I've had a front row seat to seeing someone who has an active relationship with God. Um, And because of their active relationship with God, continues to love the church. Yeah. Well, and if they can look at it and see mom is, does all of these things, goes to church, does all of these methods. Mm -hmm. And the result is there's joy and peace and honesty in our home. We've coupled the the method with how we actually turn out and how we live our day and how we look during the day and our home feels versus when you look at people. I mean, it is, it's like our kids can watch. Like I watch my kids who they're choosing to have as friends right now. And sometimes I'm like, wow. But what's interesting is that a lot of those friendships don't last because eventually my kids figure out on their own. I don't feel great around them, Mm -hmm. but I always feel good around mom and dad. What's the common denominator? It's as simple as that. It's really simple. And you, your boys probably think mom came out of this looking great, is better than okay. Yes. And it is because of Jesus. Yes. Yeah. No, I think my kids are very aware. They used to verbalize it more of, you're a totally different person now than you were Mm. when you were, when we lived in the other house is usually how they would say say it. it? Yeah. Okay. You're a totally different person now than you were then and you laugh more or you, Mm. and so it's, it is honestly about that joy you Mm -hmm. get to live life with. Well, and you said that truth, like to have truth and it bring you joy. Yes. Because you had even said that you knew of affairs earlier in your marriage. Yes. So what they saw in that first part of your life Mm -hmm. was you living with what untruth does to you. Yes, yes. And living life on eggshells and trying to keep someone else happy. And yes, it is. I think my kids, I still am super protective of lots of details. But at the same time, my kids are old enough that they discern, you know, the truth of the situation Mm -hmm. and have seen stuff to be able to come up with their own truth. Mm-hmm. So so good. Yeah. Okay, so your boys have they been in therapy or you know that has to be up to kids too. You can't even smaller ones. Yes. They're hating it. You don't force it, but are are you kind of do you go with that by the season of what they need if they do therapy? I think um all kids should have the option of therapy in the seasons where they need it. Mm-hmm. Um, I happen to live in Nashville or outside of Nashville and have a dear friend who's a therapist to boys. His name is David Thomas. And I have done as many sessions with David on knowing how to parent boys. That mm-hmm. has been super uh, beneficial for me. But I think all kids should be given that option, whether it's divorce or loss of a parent or um, being bullied at school mm-hmm. or getting a bad grade and the anxiety of their grades going down. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think they should be given the option for mm-hmm. it. Yeah, so good. Well, we are going to um, put in the show no- notes all the stuff that you offer. And I shouldn't say stuff, all of the resources. Yes. It's groups. It's a book. Yes. It's yep. your wisdom and knowledge. And, and I just think a lot of 
uh, the ladies who listen might just be like, I just don't know where to turn or yeah. will someone understand? Yes. You understand. I understand. Just because yes. your story <laughs> was supported by good people and the church was great and you don't have, you know, some areas that were as tragic. Yeah. Uh, you also, you walked it fully mm-hmm. out and you didn't choose this. You didn't want right. this. Right. You didn't right. choose a fall. You didn't choose a divorce. You didn't choose any of this. Yeah. So thank you for being honest and open and really an inspiration to see that you can be not just okay. Like, how are you guys doing? Okay. No, you've said we're better than okay. And you said that even one of your sons said, I like our life better now. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yep. One of my sons said, I wouldn't change anything. It was really hard. I wouldn't change where we are today for anything. That's amazing. Yep. What a a testimony. Definitely something that's achievable. Yeah. That's great. Well, and if you would like to learn more, obviously, about Brandy, Leading and Loving It, and about the Exchange Collaborative, which is the ministry, the nonprofit that the Rise After the Fall comes out of and our new retreat center in North Carolina, where we are already booking people to come and do our intensives for those who are in the midst of temptation. They haven't fallen yet and we can help get a grasp on that and stop those habits. Or you've been through a devastating fall as a couple or now, unfortunately, even separate and divorced. You can go to our website, theexchangecollaborative.com. And until next time, and Sean will be joining me, I am sure, (laughs) at the next rise after the fall. Hi friends, it's Sunny again. And I just want to say, Sean and I appreciate your faithful listening. And we hear all the time that many of you are sharing this. In fact, we've had a few people say, I tell everybody I know, specifically other pastors and leaders about this podcast. And so we may have shared in our early season two episode about the story of getting a retreat center that we're now going to call The Reserve, Uh, 20 acres, multiple houses, and the ability to house pastors and leaders, their families. We're going to basically say we're hosting the hurting, we're hosting the betrayed, we're restoring the betrayer. Uh, And so now we have a campus to do that on, a a 20-acre property to do that on, as well as we'll continue to bring people into Green Bay and we provide um, help in the finances for that and the housing for that at times as needed. Also, we'll continue to go to people. We've done that over the last couple of years, flown directly to couples in crisis. That's been an ongoing thing that Sean and I, Pastor Becky, Pastor Barry have done. But what I wanted to ask you is that um, because this retreat center is $1.8 million, which actually for 20 acres, a massive house, other housing, uh, it's really reasonable. We just happened to find it in a great location. And the person who's selling it to us has a ministry heart. He's on the board of the church that we interned at coming right out of Bible college. It's just crazy, the God story. But we need to get $600,000 as the down payment. Now he's going to spread that over the first year. So it's 54,000 a month. Then after that, the 1.2 million that we will finance with him, those payments will start and that's in the 70 some hundred dollars. So $7,000 a month plus utilities and expenses, but that's much more palpable than 54,000 a month. But for this first year, we're grateful that we didn't have to come up with 600,000 to even begin work on the property. We already own it. We're already doing construction, but 
what I would ask you is if you would consider, and you may say, it's me. I have, you know, $100,000 put away for our church that we are going to start construction on something. Or you may say, I have $1.8 million at the church I lead and we were breaking ground, but I feel <laughs> this is the crazy thing. I've heard some crazy stories about pastors who, after having the money or praying for the money and they get it for something God's having them do, God told them to give it away. But then God exceeded their expectation and they came back and had eightfold, ninefold. I know of a church in Texas, this just happened. Uh, they gave a million dollars they had raised to break ground on a new property. And the, someone had been at this conference with them and they had a roof that had caved in and it was a million dollars to repair it. And God told him, give the million dollars. Well, he did. And within a few weeks, they had a company come to them and offer them money for the land and to give them land they owned. And they basically were given about $8 million from their million dollars they gave away. So I just know that when Sean and I even have given $1,200, which was our first big gift when we were first married at a conference and God told us give everything. And we had $1,201 in our bank account, which was a ton for us. It was like our savings. We gave it, we got home and we got, had a check in our mailbox for $1,250. Now we made $49 on that, but it increased our faith. We made a lot of return on our faith and that investment and knowing God will never ask us to give that he doesn't have a huge plan. So I take this time to say, you might be the one that says, we're going to give you 1.8. You'll never have to worry about money as you do this ministry. You might say, we're going to give you 600,000 for the down payment so that you don't have to stress for the first year at 54,000 a pop as you build it out. Or you might say, we're going to give monthly or we have something else in mind. Thank you for considering it. Thank you for stepping out in faith and thank you for being a faithful listener to this. We appreciate you.